Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. We're coming at you uh, a week after our last podcast episode, which was an emergency edition after Florida paused all team activities due to a COVID-19 outbreak. Obviously, the LSU game that was scheduled for last weekend was postponed until December 12th. You know, we talked a little bit, Blake, about how we thought that was maybe a mistake from the SEC, uh, you know, taking advantage of that, that last potential opportunity to reschedule a game. Uh, but I guess in hindsight, we found out on Friday that you know the team had planned to shut down for two weeks as is with the COVID outbreak. And so the Missouri game that was scheduled for the following week, which would have been this weekend, ended up also getting postponed. And that game got bumped back into Florida's bye week on Halloween. Uh, so I guess knowing that the league kind of had to do that, um, you know, bumping the LSU game all the way back. But obviously now, you know, the, the, the big questions that remain for Florida are kind of where do they go from here? No doubt. And you look at the schedule now and it, uh, it certainly makes it to where Florida is not going to have the time off that you would normally expect in a bye week. Um, and just saying that, you know, the, the, the time they're having off is, I mean, it's, it's off, like it's paused. You can't go into the facility. So it's, it's definitely interesting to see how this team responds going forward. You, you look at the defense and you think that, you know, sure there were times where they could game plan, they could get things together, but man, it's just really hard. when you have to do all these things, social distancing, you have to do everything through zoom. So uh, I'm interested to see how this time off affects Florida's defense. You know, I think that that's every fan's question now is, you know, I guess it's two sides of the coin here. You know, is this time off going to help them from a mental standpoint to figure out personnel and figure out different things and, um, you know, maybe nurse some wounds if they had some or, you know, any of that. But then at the same time, I mean, man, as a defense, you don't get better in without practice. So I think now it's – it's uh, to me, that's the biggest question for me going forward, you know, leading up to the Missouri game. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. And I think the big difference is, you know, Missouri, although their game against Vanderbilt was postponed, um, they're able to practice right now while Florida isn't. And so, you know, in talking to Dan Mullen, uh, we talked to him yesterday on the SEC teleconference kind of briefly, uh, but at least this time around it was all Florida reporters that, that kind of got the questions in. I think the league did a good job of allowing us to – to really talk to him and, and get a, a feel for kind of how Florida's doing. Essentially at this point, Blake, and, and I know you reported this on Swamp 24-7, the team's not doing any sort of activity at all until Monday, um, until next Monday, the 26th, I believe. So um, essentially the way things worked out with them having, you know, again, we don't have an exact number, but we know to this point in October, at least 31 players have tested positive. Now, obviously some of those were, 
kind of individual cases that were quickly, quickly isolated early in October. And those guys are probably back and healthy, but there's a much larger chunk that came kind of from this Texas A&M road trip where there were one or two guys that, that ended up basically being kind of your patient zero spreaders. And it really, really impacted the entire team because those guys got on the plane, uh, you know, kind of feeling some minor symptoms. I mean, very minor, just a headache here uh, and a runny nose there is basically what, you know, Florida described to us. And all of a sudden when you put those guys on a plane with, you know, the 70 other guys that are making that road trip to Texas A&M plus trainers and staffers, assistant coaches, uh, and then you go into a very tiny locker room, you know, visiting locker rooms we talked about are always really, really small. You have the potential for just massive spread. And that's what we saw from Florida. You know, obviously Vanderbilt's another team that's dealt with this. Coincidentally, they also played at Texas A&M. So I think you're seeing some of the struggles, you know, just with the road travel. And uh, we'll get into it a little bit later in terms of, you know, whether or not this impacts Florida's ability to play all 10 games, but definitely create some challenges. And so now not only – you know, does Florida have these 31 potential guys uh, isolated after positive test results? But they've also got a handful of other players and coaches who are having to isolate as is from con- coming into contact with these guys. So you've got a lot of guys out right now. And that's why I think Florida made the decision, you know, last Wednesday to just go ahead and shut everything down, you know, shut everything down for two weeks. Let's go ahead and try to get these positive cases as back close to zero as we can. And, and even, even though that they've shut down, They've still been able to test players, obviously, to, to see how they're doing, make sure that no additional cases are popping up. And in listening to Dan Mullen, that hasn't been completely flawless. I mean, they've had one or two players. I think they had a player test positive on uh, Tuesday morning with those Tuesday morning tests that they took. So they're still trying to get a handle on it. And once you're, once you're out of that team structure, Dan Mullen said, basically, you're relying on these guys to make good decisions. And you know, it's hard to do when you're not playing football, you're not in the team facilities, you're not in the practice going through all these protocols. And I think, Blake, that's one of the biggest challenges for Florida right now is you're at the point where, you know, it's back towards the summer, you know, where, when you didn't have your team in full fall camp gear, all that, you're relying on these guys to make good decisions and college age students, that's not always going to happen. No doubt. And I think another thing too, that had come out since our last podcast was that actually Dan Mullen, you know, he announced himself that he had tested positive for COVID-19. I know you had mentioned before that, you know, the, the local media had a chance to talk with him. He's obviously an important piece. I mean, Dan Mullen is, I mean, he's the heart and soul. He's, I mean, he's the brains of the program. I mean, did he have any kind of update on, I guess, his status and his health whenever you guys were able to speak with him? You know, he sounded a little bit nasally, a little bit congested. You could tell that he was definitely under the weather a little bit. And uh, I believe he tested positive last Tuesday. So that would be uh, nine days ago from when we're shooting this podcast on Thursday afternoon. Um, so he should be nearing the end of his his positive results. And obviously, that's good news because that, you know, when, when the team returns, obviously, you'd like the head coach there. But uh, yeah. I think, you know, he's an important part, guy. <laughs> yeah, just a little. Maybe. But, uh, for the most part, Dan Mullen said, I think, the majority of their guys have had very minor symptoms, which you obviously like to hear, you know, you don't want anybody to have a complication where all of a sudden now you've got that to worry about as well. Sounds like for the most part, all these guys are pretty healthy, you know, just minor runny noses, cold symptoms, maybe a shortness of breath, that kind of thing. Um, but for Dan Mullen, I think the, the, the tougher thing is, you know, we talked to him all summer about how difficult COVID-19 has been from a coaching standpoint just because you're so out of your norm and out of your routine, right? I mean, you're, you're used to, you know, at least having your strength and conditioning coach have oversight of these guys in the offseason. You're used to having spring ball, planning through spring ball. All of a sudden, you know, this offseason, you had to throw everything out of the window. And nobody was more relieved to get back in the building and get back in there for fall camp and actually start the season and get three games in than Dan Mullen was. 
now you're having to throw out everything. And, and yes, they made contingency plans during the offseason in case of a COVID outbreak. You know, they had a plan for if Dan Mullen couldn't coach a game because he tested COVID a positive, who goes in there, who fills in. They had all that worked out. But now you're having to deal with the reality of it. And, and I think going back to the point of, you know, now that players are out of the team structure, you know, they're having to contact trace with guys and ask guys to be honest, hey, have you really been staying at home while we've asked you to isolate? You know, we, yes, you haven't tested positive yet, but are you staying home and not picking up, you know, the virus somewhere else? And that I think has been really tough for Dan Mullen. I think you could kind of tell his frustration, his, um, not that, not that he was, he came across frustrated necessarily, but you can tell that there's definitely just some disappointment of they had done so well. They had kind of been a model in the SEC, you know, through that, you know, really July, August, September period, really keeping the caseload low. You know, they had a couple in early September where people were worried about that old Miss opener and they were able to get a, a quick handle on that. This is obviously a very different situation. And again, I think it underscores the problems with travel. Um, but this is a situation now where you can kind of throw out the book on whatever you had prepared because you're going to find out come Monday just where your guys are at. And, and to your point, I think, you know, knowing that you had these defensive issues and yeah, maybe, maybe you were changing your game plan around in terms of how you wanted to scheme the defense, but all of a sudden now you also have to worry about guys coming back. Are they going to be in full game shape? Are they going to be ready to hit and tackle? Um, are they, are they going to be rusty? Whereas, you know, all of a sudden Missouri has been practicing pretty much intact for two weeks. And I think, I think that's a big, big challenge for Florida. You know, I always go back to, and I, and I think it was Dan Mullen that said it near the beginning of the season or sometime in fall camp or, or some, somewhere around, the, I, I believe it was Dan Mullen that said it, was that this season the key is going to be how well can you adapt. And I think at this point where you look at just the unfortunate just happening of Florida, yes, you know, they were ones to have time off, but here they are now. You know, you can't go into the buildings. Um, you have to work out in, you know, in small groups or um, – you know, at least have to put it on the players. You know, you have to put those on the players and you have to make sure that they're doing what they're doing. So I think it just continues to go back to, you know, we're really going to see how Florida can adapt in this situation because this is, um, it's, it's definitely something to where I, I guess the unknown creeps back in. You know, I know I keep saying it every podcast because this season is going to be full of unknowns. And I just think the simple fact of seeing how Florida is going to respond just on the shortened lack of practices, it, it, you know, maybe Missouri isn't the, you know, the most frightening opponent to come back to. But, I mean, they certainly showed they were a capable team against LSU. Um, you know, I, I guess at this point, I'm just really curious to see how this Florida team is going to bounce back uh, coming off of such a long break. Like, I got a question for you because I think, I think there's a lot of questions right now, obviously. Sure. To your point. A lot more than answers, um, man. I think the biggest question for me now is can Florida even get all 10 games in? I mean, we talked about it, the schedule now. You're booked every weekend until the SEC championship game. Um, I want to pose to you kind of an over-under scenario. Um, and, and we talked a little bit about it before the show, you know, and where we set this line. But given the fact that Florida's now had an outbreak, there's no more bye weeks left on the schedule to move games around. The, the problem is if another team has an outbreak that's on Florida's schedule and needs to postpone, there's nowhere to put the, the rescheduled game, right? So I wanted to ask you, do you think Florida gets a full 10 games in? And I guess we'll nuance it a little bit even more than that. Let's go over under. Do you think Florida plays over or under eight and a half regular season games this, this fall? You know, my naive side says over. And I think that's because I think Florida's at a point now where I think this is probably going to be the worst case that they're going to have throughout the season. Just because, I mean, right now where the numbers are at now, I mean, it's not good from a standpoint of just the restrictions you have on the season, how many players you have to have um, to play in a game. And 
you know, I, I guess my naive side says over, but when you bring into the question how you said of, you know, you don't understand what another team is going to have. I, I think that that's what makes me go to be my more logical side to under, because yes, Florida can do all they want to do to handle all their business. And like you said that, you know, in, in the earlier months, they were really kind of a pillar of how to handle this thing and how to be safe and how to make sure that, you know, you're doing your due diligence to have the season and have all these games. But I think when you just see how all these teams are dealing with these kind of problems and you see these certain things pop up, I mean, even when Florida was having problems, Ole Miss was also having problems too, you know, just with an outbreak here and there. I mean, look at Nick Saban. I know he coached in that game against Georgia, but you're seeing coaches, you're seeing players, you're seeing things that, you know, kind of pop up and you're seeing groups have to be quarantined. So I think when I really put a logical thought into it, you know, I, I think I would go under, but, you know, I hope my naive side is here just because, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an SEC football fan and I want to see these games played. I want to see, you know, I want to see things go, you know, kind of unhinged and, you know, everything work out. But I don't know, man, I just think it's too hard to, you know, you can do all you want to do to control what you need to do. But again, you're dealing with college football players that, you know, can go out to parties. They can go out to bars. They can do all sorts of things. They can be in contact with people that may not be showing, showing symptoms or know that they're sick. And you have to think about, I mean, all the teams in the SEC, you have to make sure that they're doing their due diligence too. So I don't know, man, I just think it would be tough. So I think I'm going to go under. You're going under. Okay. Um, I think, I think I have to agree with you. I think it's going to be right along that eight and a half line. I could. Even I, I was about to say, I mean, I could game. see the line. I mean, if eight and a half's the line, I could see it hitting that line. I don't see it being over. Yeah. So I, the only thing I would say about, you know, Florida potentially playing nine to 10 games and, and getting through that slate without losing two games, I think you've seen a lot of teams already kind of go through it. And like you said, to sure. your point, Florida now is, this is a significant enough outbreak where since players returned to campus on May 26th, they've had 62 positives on the football team, right? And again, we don't know with this virus how quickly you can basically, you know, get it once and then how long the immune period lasts. I know that there's been some studies out there that, you know, some people have been reinfected within four and a half months. But I think generally speaking, the more guys you have that have been exposed, at least in the short term, the better off you're going to be. So I look at like programs like Tennessee. Tennessee had a big outbreak in fall camp. We talked about that going into the season. Um, you know, obviously they had to shift around some scrimmages, turn them into regular practices because of that. Um, Vanderbilt obviously has gone through a big breakout as well. So I think those are two teams that are still on the second half of the schedule where probably those teams aren't going to have an issue. The, the concerning part for me is I haven't heard anything out of Kentucky, really, you know, in terms of them being affected. Same thing for Arkansas. You know, I don't think they've had a ton of guys really get it. Both of those places are, are kind of in more cold weather locations where I think that could be an issue. You know, as we creep later into the season, they're going to be more susceptible to players being indoors, you know, people being indoors, a little bit more spread. Um, so that'll be interesting. I, I think – I think I would go over and say nine games, but I don't think they get all 10 in. I just think that's a little bit unrealistic at this point. And I'll say, I'll caveat that with that's unless the college football playoff decides there's enough issues that they're going to push back that, that deadline, basically. Or even the SEC championship game. If, they, if they're able to move those things back, then sure, I'm going over all day. That's right. not something we really know right now. Right. So I guess just the landscape and the question asked, you know, I, sure. I, I guess that's where I'm at. But if you move dates around, I think that's easily something that you can – you know, you can fix, but Florida's already gotten to a spot now where they've lost their bye week. They're moving games around to Halloween, which was their bye week. They're moving another game to the 12th. They're running out of weekends to kind of shift these things around. So yeah. I think that that certainly was a way to, I mean, for a fan of college football, again, you know, a selfish myself, you know, I would much rather have, um, I'd much rather have the SEC championship game moved back so we could fit these games in. 
Yeah, you know, and I hope they keep that on the table. Again, that gets really dicey with, you know, uh, holiday season with exams and all that. But um, short of that, I do think Florida is going to lose a game. And so um, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. Hopefully, again, hopefully Florida is able to come back come Monday and have most of their team intact. You know, I know Dan Mullen said that they don't fully expect everyone to be there. And because of the contact tracing, because of, again, some players testing positively as recently as this Tuesday, you're going to have a couple guys out that maybe come back later in the week. But hopefully Florida is able to kind of slowly ramp up starting Monday and get to a place where, you know, they're able to get this Missouri game in and kind of get the season back on the rails. But, uh, do you feel, like, do, actually, I have one more question for you. I, I guess now that you know that the, the team has had the time off, the coaches have had the time off, are you concerned about how the team's going to look when they do come back from this Missouri game? I am for sure. You know, Dan Mullen said he, you know, with three games in, they feel like they're in game shape. But again, I mean, this is a respiratory, potentially respiratory illness. Now, again, a lot of guys supposedly have very mild symptoms. Uh, but I think more than anything, when you were already going to shake up your defensive scheme and maybe move some guys around into positions that fit them a little better, you want them getting practice reps in. And, and I think that one potential silver lining is, yeah, they can get mental reps in, you know, virtually via the Zoom meetings and stuff like that, but you're not physically going through it and the coaches don't have an idea physically what it looks like, you know, so you're going to be flying a little bit blind into this Missouri game where all of a sudden, you know, the Tigers have had an extra couple of weeks to game plan, an extra couple of weeks to practice that game plan. I would expect Missouri to be really sharp offensively. So me, this, you know, we'll get into it more when we start previewing Missouri in the pod next week. Uh, but I think this game's going to be a lot on Florida's offense. So Definitely. I, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I, I think so too. You know, just the fact that, I mean, we know what to expect with Florida's offense. They bring a lot of guys back. I think that on offense, sure. You want the reps, you know, the physical reps, you want to be out there, you know, doing it until it just becomes second nature. Defense, man, it's hard to get those mental reps. It's hard to, you know, imagine you being in a certain spot and tackling someone or reacting this way or that way. So I just think it's really unfortunate because Florida's offense is, you know, I, I, I guess I can expect some rush just because of the fact that they were off, but it's just, it's easy to, I guess I just know what I'm going to expect from Florida's offense from their time off. They've just been very explosive. You know, they just seem to be really on their stuff. They're just, they're, I mean, they're firing on all cylinders, so to say, for the most part. I mean, sure, there are some little mishaps here and there. But, man, that defense, it, time off is just something you do not want when you're looking at a defense that you need to get better. No doubt. All right, Blake, let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we actually got a chance to talk to Mike White, the head coach for the basketball team, the other day. So I want to kind of give a brief intro to basketball season and where things are at there with hoops. I know the schedule, the non-conference schedule at least, was finalized yesterday. So we'll take a quick look at that. We'll talk about how important this year six is for Mike White. And then we've got a little bit of recruiting to cover right at the end of the show, right after this break, guys eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Uh, I, first off, I apologize a little bit if you guys are able to hear. Uh, I'm in a condo complex getting ready to move to a house, so hopefully I won't have these audio issues in the future, but somebody's banging around with a hammer back behind me. Uh, so I apologize for that. I'll try to mute when, uh, when Blake is the one talking. But, Blake, I wanted to get into a little bit of Florida basketball, um, and I'll get into a little bit about what Mike White talked about. But I think there's been a sense from both of us throughout this offseason that this is kind of going to be a judgment year, so to speak, for Mike White. What's your sense on just how important this year is for Florida? And I know that it's going to be an odd year, you know, talking about the COVID issues. It's already a shortened season. What, what's your sense of, I, just, I guess, just the pressure on Mike White and, and what Florida really needs to do this season to feel confident about the trajectory of the program going forward? You know, it's, it's a tricky question you know, for me to have an answer to just because I think when you see there, there's certainly doubt, you know, and I, I think that just looking at what Mike White has had, I mean, we've seen a team, a Florida team that was getting, you know, I, I, I don't know what they were heading into a preseason ranking, but I mean, they were like a top five or, I mean, a highly ranked team either way. They were just getting a lot of credit and they just didn't really add up to, you know, they, they didn't have the outcome of what a lot of people expected. So I think when you have that happen, I think it makes those, I guess hot seat kind of talks maybe ramp up even more just because if you're not going to win with just the talent pool that Florida had in that season, I think a lot of people are, I guess, wherever we are at in a seat in, in football or even any kind of sport, um, when you have angry fans, it's not fun if you're the coach, but when you have fans that are kind of starting to be more indifferent, that's where things start to get really tricky because I think that this season is where it can be there. Cause I don't know that fans really have high expectations for Florida hoops. I'm sure those diehard fans certainly do. You know, they always want to come out and, you know, win a natty and do this and do that. But I think overall the giant body of people, there are just, they're just kind of waiting to see. And I don't know that there's really a ton of excitement or there's, I don't know. I just think at this point, it just seems like people are starting to kind of call it quits, so to say, on Mike White until he does something. It does seem a little bit like the fan base is growing apathetic, and I think that's a great point. You know, I, I think it's going to be hard for anybody to ever get the program back to the level that Billy Donovan had it at its heights. I mean, even Billy Donovan was struggling towards the end of his tenure to, you know, stay consistently in the NCAA tournament. You know, he had that that off year his last year before he left. But I, I do think that if – you know, if somebody's capable of doing it, you've got to recruit like Mike White has. And I think when you look at the makeup of his roster right now, you know, yes, you lose former five-star Andrew Nemhard to a transfer to Gonzaga. Uh, I think he's going to have a big year there. You lose KJ Blackshear, who was one of the most coveted transfers in college basketball last year. But when you look at how Florida was constructed, it was a team that, to me – had a kind of disjointed identity. I mean, you had a guy like Scotty Lewis, who's a, a terrific athlete, you know, a real above the rim type player in Keontae Johnson. To me, that, those were always guys that you kind of wanted to get out and press with and kind of run with. And given how Andrew Nemhard liked to play, I just didn't think you could do that. And one of the more interesting things talking to Mike White yesterday, I asked him, you know, 
kind of what went into Nemhard's decision to transfer and, and whether, you know, the staff kind of saw that coming. And he said, he said, yeah, like the, you know, basically over the course of the last two years, it just kind of became clear that the visions didn't really align. And I know a lot of people will fault Mike White for that. And I think that's deserved because I think coaches to me, and we've talked about it on this podcast in the past as a college basketball coach, I think it really helps when you have a set identity and you recruit to that identity. That way your upperclassmen, as they get older and more experienced in the system, they know exactly what you're trying to do on a year in year out basis. And that doesn't change first based on the personnel. Rather you put the personnel that you want to be on your roster in position to do what you want to do. And I think when Mike White came in, he had this whole vision of playing fast and, and going up tempo and pressing defensively. And to some degree, they did that when they had Casey Hill and Chris Gioza. And then once you got to the Nemhard transition, it really slowed down. And I think Mike White, to his credit as an X's and O's basketball coach, did a decent job trying to adjust his personnel around to fit what they could do best. But I think you just, when you're doing that at the college basketball level, I think it can get over players' heads. You know, it, it's really tough to do, particularly when you have a young team like Florida had last year. I mean, you just had so many young guys that, again, the identity was never really there. And so I think, I think the Andrew Nemhard transfer can be a little bit addition by subtraction. And I think, you know, Florida may not fire off on all cylinders this, this season, particularly given that it's going to be kind of crazy with COVID. But I think if you can start to see some kind of identity – going forward in terms of what you want to see from Florida. You know, if you can start to see them put together this identity of what we saw at Louisiana tech, when Mike white coached there, this fast tempo, this pushing the pace kind of deal, I think it'll be better. And so I think particularly when you look at this roster and I guess I should break down kind of what we see right now. Uh, you know, you got Trey man, you got Quez Glover, you got Tyree Appleby, a transfer from Cleveland state. Now who's eligible, a guy that was a big scorer there. You've got a lot of guards that can really push the tempo. You know, it sounds like Trey man is kind of taking the, the leadership right now at that, at that point guard spot. You've got Scotty Lewis. Again, you got Noah Locke coming back as a guy that can get in the open floor, uh, find his shots, you know, uh, really stress teams from the perimeter. And then I think in the front court, finally, now you don't have a guy that's kind of a more skilled, big, um, in Kerry Blackshear, who, and I say that not as a bad thing that he's skilled, but, you know, he was that kind of guy that kind of liked to work his moves and, and kind of play a face-up game. Now you've got Omar Payne, who's kind of an above-the-rim high-flyer shot blocker. You've got Anthony Deruji, again, a, a really good uh, defensive player, rebounder, really explosive jumper. Um, I think these are guys that you're going to be able to kind of run the floor with, and I think that me more than anything, Blake, what I'm looking at is to see some identity from this Mike White team. And I don't want to see them, you know, start to play the season fast and then say, uh-oh, uh-oh, hands up. Like, whoa, we're not sure what we're doing anymore. And then shift back. I think you've got to establish an identity this year and you've got to play to it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. At least Florida will know, you know, Mike White may not be the guy for the job. But I think, I think you're doing yourself a disservice this year if you, you know, say you're going to play this up-tempo, fast-paced offense and defense. And then you start to do it. It doesn't go well. And, and I think you just, I think that's to me where Mike White, he's going to have to stick with it and they're going to have to prove that they can play that way. You know, if this season's going to work out for him. Yeah. I think there's a lot of truth to that too. I, I think establishing identity this late in his career, you know, not to say he's been there, you know, forever, but I mean, just the fact that how long he's been at Florida, you just want to have an idea of this is what we got. This is what we're going to do. And I understand that sometimes switches every year to year with personnel, but I think overall, you just want to have an idea of what Mike White is going to do. And then I think 
it even kind of even to add into the equation is just looking capable in some of these games. You know, I think that you bring a good point with just the COVID season. You have to just understand that a lot of these things are going to be how you adapt. I mean, even from football to basketball to any kind of sport, you have to find a way to adapt and you just have to not, I mean, you just have to kind of expect the unknown in a lot of the seasons. But I think for the most part, I think fans just want to see a capable team. They want to know what, what we've got, how they're going to do it. Sure. They want to win a lot of games. You know, they want to, you know, show some signs of growth. But I think for the most part here where Mike White has gotten to his career is where he's just kind of seemed to stall out a little bit. And I think that some point you're going to figure out if it's going to be some kind of signs of positive or if it's just going to continue to shift back in the negative. And I think the negative is going to have an idea of, like you said, it's time to move on. It's not going to work this way. So I think this year is a big judgment year in that aspect. It's going to be. And you look at Florida's non-conference schedule. I talked about it a little bit. This is as tough a slate as I've ever seen. Now, granted, it's condensed into nine games. And so you've lost some of the, you know, the more semi-regional games against smaller teams. But you look at this schedule, you've got Virginia in game two, Oklahoma game three, UConn game four, Florida State game five. Then you've got West Virginia also in the, the, big, the big 12 SEC challenge. That's a really tough slate. So, yikes. You know, it, it, yeah, yikes. I mean, it's going to be on Mike White to really be able to communicate to his guys what he wants to do. And uh, the one thing that stuck out to me yesterday, he said defensively he feels like they're doing a good job with the tempo so far. But they've had as many turnovers in like the, the seven practices they've had in the last five days as they had all last year. So guys offensively right now aren't playing safe enough with the basketball. That's going to be one area that I think over the next couple of weeks, you know, before that November 25th season opener, Florida really has to harp, harp on and, you know, really, really try to iron out. Um, but there's no doubt this is a big year for Mike White. It's a big year for the basketball program. One other quick note on basketball before I flip to you on recruiting. Um, Knowing that it's going to be a COVID year, I do think it's important to know that Florida basketball team has already gone through some COVID issues. Um, and again, you know, it's tricky with the timeline. You don't know when exactly that happened, but Mike White, you know, didn't want to get into specifics. He wasn't sure if he was allowed to, uh, you know, with HIPAA and all that. But they've had, it sounded like at least a lot of guys probably already get COVID. You know, he said at one point they were down to five guys in practice uh, for a couple days there. So, um, I don't know how you look at that, if that's a good thing or a bad thing, just something I kind of wanted to note because I think it's important. Um, it sounds like Florida's closer to full strength now. Keontae Johnson's dealing with what sounds like kind of some bumps and bruises right now. But anyway, the Florida basketball team is, is into practice and they're, they're kind of getting into practice mode and really only a month away from the season starting. So I'm sure we'll be talking about them a little bit more. But Blake, I know that you put in a recent crystal ball prediction for a Florida prospect on the recruiting board. Can you fill us in a little bit more on that? Yeah, actually, I did. I put in a crystal ball, actually, just before we started to record this podcast on four-star linebacker Jeremiah Williams. Um, he's out of Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, that was my – hopefully you didn't hear that because my phone just rang. So, uh, <laughs> I, I put in a crystal ball for Jeremiah Williams, a four-star linebacker. Um, he uh, is from Birmingham, Alabama, Ramsey High School. He's got a, an interesting fit for Florida's defense because he's, he's being recruited as a linebacker. They see him able to move around in their defense, play some middle linebacker, play some outside linebacker. He's listed as a weak side defensive end by 24-7 sports, and I think he's a guy that could even fit into that position too. You know, use him in different ways. So I think versatility, I know I say that word, and a lot of Florida fans are like, oh, no way, we're not doing that one. That used to be but a great I, thing before, before this season. But I think he brings something a little bit different, and I, I, and I say that – because I compare him, and I say this is such a bad comparison because I'm, I'll go more into that, but he's got the kind of fit that they want to use um, 
in, in uh, Mumu Dibate, um, seeing how they use him as kind of that, you know, edge rusher guy, that thrown him at linebacker. But Jeremiah has a little bit more size on him than what Diabate had coming into the program. I know they're going to continue to try to build up that size for him, and they're going to want to use Diabate in that same mold. But, I mean, Jeremiah is a guy that's coming in that would come in at six foot three, 224 pounds as a high school senior. So he's definitely got the size to come in there. He's got a nose for the, you know, for the, you know, for the passer. He can rush the edge. He um, can play – you know, linebacker, he's very physical. So I, I think he fits really well. And I think that fit has been the biggest thing of his interest point in Florida. That's something that has long been a big thing for him. He actually was talking about making a commitment sometime in the summer. Uh, many people thought it was actually going to be Florida at the time, but he backed off that. He wasn't able to take visits, obviously, with the dead period that's been going on for most of this year. He did get the chance to visit Florida's campus back in March uh, for a junior day, and that was before everything did shut down. So anyways, he was going to make that commitment this summer. He backed off of that. Earlier this month, he was going to do that commitment again, and more than likely people thought that Auburn was going to be the pick, the hometown team. His mother has been very vocal of, you know, wanting him close to home. Um, he's been a guy that's been able to visit there a bunch. Just a lot of a lot of ties to that Auburn program that, you know, really seemed to be kind of where he was leaning at that point. I actually logged a crystal ball for Auburn at that time because I, I fully expected Auburn to be the pick. Here we go again. He backed off that decision plan. I uh, wanted to think things over a little bit. I think, honestly – in the grand scheme of things, I think that he's a guy that has always wanted to leave his home state. I think the fact that his family wanted him a little bit closer, not to say they were forcing his hand, but it's hard to be a 17, 18-year-old kid and, you know, leave home and go against, you know, what your family would maybe want for you. Um, but it does seem here now, um, maybe Auburn struggles more so just kind of on defense and overall. It does seem that Florida has been on the trend up and Auburn has been on the trend down. So here I am. I switched my crystal ball pick uh, to the Florida Gators. All right, guys, and there you go. Make sure you stay tuned to Swamp247.com. Blake will obviously be following that closely, as he does with all recruiting. Blake, I'm going to spring a surprise question on you here. Uh, I forgot to mention it to you in our, uh, in our pregame lead-in. Uh, but uh, let's go to the five-star mailbag, because that's a feature we want to continue. Uh, I've got a question here from Invisible Children, who left us a five-star rating on Apple, uh, or iTunes, I guess. And his question is, what do the Gators have to do to continue to contend for a national championship as they progress throughout this year, maybe specifically on offense, defense, or special teams? We're talking contend for a national championship this year this or season. in the future. This season. Got to play better on defense. You know, you have to figure things out. I mean, I think Florida has a national championship type offense. I think they have an offense that's very explosive. You know, it's, it's good. To, it's always good to have a good offense, but I think Florida's luxury this year is they have an offense that scores. They have an offense that's going to get into the end zone. They have a kicker that can hit from like 60 yards out. So, I mean, they have an offense that's going to put points up on the board. I think from special teams where you look like I mentioned Evan McPherson, I think you have a tool there. I haven't been super impressed with what I've seen from Jacob Finn um, as Florida's punter. Um, I know there's been a battle there um, between him and Jeremy Crawshaw, the, the, the freshman. So I think they're, you know, punting, but I mean, you got an offense that you're probably not going to punt very much, but I think Florida's defense, I mean, simply they just have to play better. And I don't know if that's getting the right personnel in there. Um, I think that getting a guy like Kyrie Campbell back, I'm not sure what's going on there, but getting him back at some point this season, if they're able to, I think would do really good wonders for Florida just to get that guy with some size. And you can put a guy like, you know, Brenton Cox, you can put a guy like Zachary Carter in a position where they were more successful. So I think overall, uh, just playing defense better, tackling better. I mean, there's just so many things from defense to where I can't group it up into one thing. I just overall, the unit has to play better because you have this championship type offense. And we've seen Florida get to a game against Texas A&M where you have to win in a shootout. You have to expect Florida's offense to not score maybe every drive, but I mean, more times than not, you're going to expect, you're going to need those guys to score and keep you in the game. So I think 
Florida's offense, they have an offense that can keep them in those kind of games if they are in a shootout. But, man, that defense just has not played up to what people thought they were going to this season. So I think, quite frankly, they just have to get better on all facets there. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about that after the Texas A&M game, that it's, it's almost hard to find any one spot on the defense because it's great. I mean, I can't pick just one. I mean, overall, it just it all stinks. All right, well, I'll be a little bit more specific. For Florida to compete for a national championship this year, I think it's really simple. I think it's twofold. I'll break it down into these two parts. One, Florida can't lose a game it's favored in going forward. I think the Texas A&M game, you know, obviously Florida was favored in that one, but that was one that we had picked Florida to potentially struggle in ahead of the season. Obviously, now that things have played out, the defense is a much more significant concern. But Florida has the capability, particularly if they adjust some personnel there, to play well enough to beat most of the teams remaining on the schedule. Vanderbilt, Arkansas, Kentucky, Tennessee. We've seen all those teams have some individual faults. Maybe Kentucky's probably the, the one that you would say is maybe the best of those. Um, LSU's got question marks. So I think the biggest thing for Florida, avoid dropping a game that you shouldn't drop. And then number two, have, with Georgia having lost to Alabama, it's real simple. You have to win in Jacksonville. And so I think to do that, you know, Blake, I know you talked about all the defensive issues that Florida has. The bottom line for me is Florida, looking at that matchup in the Georgia game, Florida has to play out of its mind in the trenches on that Saturday in Jacksonville. There's no two ways around it. If Florida does not show up and at least hold even on the line of scrimmage, I don't think there's any chance that Florida beats Georgia you know, barring a complete turnover fest from the Bulldogs. And I'm not saying that's not possible, but right now, if you were picking that game, you wouldn't pick Florida to win based on what we've seen in the trenches. So real simple answer for me, don't drop a game you're not supposed to, and then play out of your mind in the trenches against Georgia and find some way to win that game. That's the only way that Florida competes for a national championship this year. It's definitely doable. Uh, I don't know if I would predict that, but it's definitely something that Florida can do. And um, I think that's the answer to your five-star mailbag right there. Um, guys, just, uh, you know, this, that'll wrap up this episode. But again, I want to remind you guys now that we've done the five-star mailbag a couple times. I, I almost forgot it this episode, not going to lie. That's why it was a surprise question. Um, <laughs> be sure to leave us a five-star review. Uh, I'll try to pull one maybe off of Spotify next time. Uh, I don't think you can leave reviews on Spotify. Okay. I'm not 100% sure. And don't leave a review if you're not allowed to. Don't so. listen to this guy. I already, I already forgot the question. Now he's never talking about reviews on something. <laughs> but leave us a, a five-star review. I'll, I'll kind of pour over the different, the different uh I don't know, places you can listen to our podcast. I know that we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Player FM, Google Podcasts, Podbean. I think that's all of them. Um, so leave us a five-star review on there. Drop us a question in there. We'll pick one of the questions from those five-star reviews, and we will answer it on the next episode of the Swamp 24-7 podcast. We'll be back next week with a preview of the Missouri game. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We appreciate you guys listening to the show. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 